Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the June Monero Coffee Chat. We're happy to have you joining watching us. Remember, this is an interactive session, so be sure to ask us questions. This is our time to answer them. We have a lot of interesting people on today, uh, which I hope that we'll be able to cover some really interesting Monero community and technical developments that have been happening over the past few weeks and of course going into the next few weeks as well. So. As far as people that are on, uh, my name is Justin. I am the organizer of the Monero Community Workgroup. My counterpart, Diego, is unfortunately not on today, so you'll have to catch him some other time. Uh, he had a great talk, though, recently at the Monero, uh, Monero Talk uh, channel that I'm, I encourage you to check out. We might still talk about that during today's uh, episode of the Monero Coffee Chat, too. Um, but let's go through other introductions that people have today. So first, Need Money 90. Can you introduce hey. yourself to everyone? Please? Yeah, Need Money 90, moderator in the community, uh, various just jack of all trades, uh, information spreader, support, you know. Um, I'm here basically to contribute how I can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Need Money 90. Okay, how about Vic? Vic, you're muted. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Yeah, okay. So I'm uh, Vic Sharma, creator of uh, Cake Wallet. And, uh, just as always, join these things to learn as much as I can. Welcome. Great. Is this your first coffee chat, Vic? Yeah, this is the first one I've seen them on. No, we. Oh. I was on the one where we had all the wallets. Uh, ah, yes, thank you for joining that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. We have Great one to have you back on. Thanks. Um, so I know Sarang is low on time. Sarang, can you give introductions, please? When you have a chance here, you're joining the coffee chat live. <laughs> we can't hear you if you're talking, Sarang. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Hello. There you go. Hi. I'm joining live. Uh, sorry for the slight delay. I was fixing up some bikes for kids. Great times. Um, anyway, um, so I was asked to provide a brief summary of OmniRing. Is that right? Yeah, you're jumping straight into it. So, um, okay. yeah, since you're since you're, since you're low on time, I'm going to have you uh, talk about you know talk about your latest monthly updates, and then also going forward, I thought it would be really nice to give the community a nice high level overview of OmniRing because it is a really big development going forward. We need yeah, Arctic Mining so Wizard to introduce themselves. Just let the introductions park it over real quick. Okay. I need to finish introductions. Okay. Sarang, I'll be right back to you. Arctic Mine, can you introduce yourself, please? You're muted also. No, I'm unmuted. There we go. Sounds good. Uh, so just to say hello to everybody. Uh, most people know me as a core team member and also involved with scaling and adaptive block sizes. Excellent. Uh -huh. Thank you, Arctic Mine, for joining us. You've been on quite Good a few of these, and we're always happy to have yeah. you on. Uh, Woodzer, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, so yeah, I'm a developer. I work on libraries uh, that are intended to make Monero easier to access. So, specifically, now I'm working on libraries in Java, JavaScript, and now most lately, um, actually C++. So I'm currently spending a lot of time thinking about you know, Monero's technical architecture and how to make it easier to integrate into projects like BISC, OpenBazaar, uh, and establish very clean and consistent APIs to access that core code base. Thanks, Woodzer. We'll definitely have some follow-up questions in regards to those, especially Absolutely. what your recommendations going forward with how to best maintain some of the core infrastructure components because they're often it's often an overlooked topic. Um, so I think it's, it's very, very useful that you are spending a lot of effort in those areas because we certainly need it. Cool. Okay, Sarang, um, if you are available, you can chime back in. Okay, sweet. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sarang. Okay. So <laughs> All right. Hello, I'm back again. Yes. Covered in yeah. sweat. I'm looking outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> so same question then. Um, can you give an overview of your latest monthly update and I guess a really brief introduction of yourself too and then a nice overview of OmniRing because it's something that people may be hearing about for the first time here. 
Sure. Um, so I'm Sarang Nother, and I'm one of the uh, full-time researchers doing work for Monero Research Lab. Um, I just put out my latest monthly research report um, that's available both on the CCS site, where um, you know funding requests live, and also on r slash Monero um, as of yesterday, I believe. So um, some big things that um, we've been working on over at Monero Research Lab are um, two different signature schemes, one of which has been in the works for a while um, that uh, some collaborators came up with that we've been working with them on um, called Dual LSAG or Dual Linkable Spontaneous something something group signatures. And it's basically um, kind of an extension to the current signature scheme um, that could allow for things like payment channel networks, non-interactive refunds and everything. Um, there are some subtleties involved with the way that key images work that both make that functionality operate, but also introduce some tricky things that would involve self-spends and churns. Um, so that paper has been kind of in the works for a while. It's been submitted as conference proceedings. Um, and it's also in the queue to be released on the IACR ePrint archive. So a preprint of that is in the queue. It just needs to be approved um, by the editors of that. Usually it takes a couple days. So look for that um, if you're interested in learning about DLSAG. And then another signature scheme um, that one of our collaborators, Random Run, originally came up with that we've been kind of modifying and analyzing is called CLSAG, which is compact LSAG signatures. And the idea behind that is it basically be a drop-in replacement for the current signature scheme we have that would allow the signatures to be, um, for most, like two input, two output transactions, probably about 25% smaller on the chain um, and about 15 to 20% faster to verify. So there was a lot of work involved with doing formal analysis, um, setting up some definitions, some security proofs, example code, timing code, um, and that's basically all ready to go. Um, we have a merge request in for that paper to appear on our internal archive um, at getmonero.org slash like resources slash research lab. You can find it there. Um, and that'll also be submitted um, for further community review to the IACR ePrint archive um, once we get all the formatting done for that. So that's another big thing. Um, and then also several different sublinear ring signature schemes have been announced recently, um, one of which was called Ring CT 3.0 um, by Joseph Liu and some other collaborators. And another one um, by Tim Ruffing and collaborators recently came out called OmniRing. Um, and we were you know, very nicely provided with an advanced copy. So we've been able to kind of look it over and look at some of the timing. The idea behind OmniRing is that it basically takes some of the ideas from some earlier sublinear um, ring signature scheme ideas and kind of puts them into kind of a bulletproofable format. So it's very similar to bulletproofs in that we get really good size scaling, logarithmic size scaling. Um, there's still some questions on the verification time. While the verification time is still in the number of ring members, we do get some benefits from some multi-exponentiation stuff that we've been working on. Um, and depending on how it's set up, you can get some batching benefits. Um, if you go and read that paper, which is also on the ePrint archive, there are some claims about batching that are not correct, and we've been working with the authors to correct some of those. So um, that paper makes the batching look incredible, but it turns out it's it's not quite as good as that, but it's still very impressive work. And it's going to be, um, we're going to do some more comparative analysis between that and some other sublinear ring signature schemes as well. So I've got two questions. Uh, one of them involves Spartan, um, the new paper that came out. And the second involves, I heard there was something about uh, a transaction system and then um, a proof system. Or something, and we could supposedly use it was either OmniRing or one of these uh, recently released papers with Spartan. I'm I'm not fully up to date on that. That was surprising to hear. What was that about? Okay, so Spartan, um, that was a paper on a zk snark scheme um, that does not involve a trusted setup, and that actually came out of Microsoft Research. And I don't remember the name of the author. I think it was a single author paper out of Microsoft Research. Um, so the idea behind that was taking some aspects of existing proof systems and doing this kind of cool computational commitment scheme thing uh, that in theory allows for you know reasonably good scaling. It's not quite as good a scaling as you get with, say, the proving system that Zcash uses, which is basically very small, constant size, um, and essentially constant size uh, verification time. So there are some trade-offs with the scaling. Um, the scaling of this particular scheme, Spartan, is, is better than you know, other trustless schemes that I've seen. Um, but it's not quite like the the phenomenal scaling that you get from something like Zcash. Um, it's always worth saying, you know, a proving system is different than a transaction model. So saying, you know, when are you going to switch to Snarks or something? Um, it's it's not a very well-formed question. So a proving system basically gives you a language for being able to prove statements, but you have to provide your own statements. And the statements you're proving are basically your transaction model. So the question would be, you know, if we decided to go to something that involved such a proving system, you know, what would have to be changed about our transaction model to make it work with that kind of scaling? So, so we, we have a question in chat, actually. Um, yeah. Doesn't it seem like these schemes are being changed too quickly? Uh, we've had just a year with uh, bulletproofs. So, that's, uh, well, these, so these, uh, that's definitely a question. 
Yeah, so so these are all very different things, right? So um, so essentially, bulletproofs is a proving system, and right now all we're using it for is range proofs, which have to do with outputs. So it has nothing to do with ring signatures. Ring signatures are for like the inputs that we're spending. Um, so we always need you know output range proofs, um, and in fact, for some of these different ring signature schemes that we've seen, they actually do kind of an integration of the range proof within them. Um, some of them don't, in which case you still need to include your own range proof, and for which bulletproofs is still the best scaling we know for that. So, you know, a lot of new work comes out all the time. You know, I'm not saying we're switching to Spartan. We don't really have a transaction model that we know is uh, optimized for that kind of scaling yet. So it's, it's interesting work, but, you know, not all interesting work makes it into the transaction model. You know, some stuff like the CLSEG signature scheme, I think we could reasonably switch to that safely. Um, but, you know, that's, that was already separate from bulletproofs, for example. So, you know, migrating to bulletproofs for range proofs and then migrating to another ring signature scheme, they're pretty much independent of each other. Yeah, and I'd like to go and tack onto the end of that. If we do use any different schemes like this, we would be paying for an independent audit. This is kind of one of the most important parts of the protocol. We, we can't afford to screw it up. Yeah, and of course, you know, all the research that comes out, like there's no guarantee that we're moving to any of that. You know, like our goal is to come up with interesting work that could be feasibly integrated into Monero. Um, it's, you know, CLSEG has undergone internal review only. It has not undergone peer review yet. Even releasing it to the IACR ePrint archive is not peer review. You know, any paper can make it into the preprint archive. Um, you know, it should definitely be audited. Fortunately, like it's fairly well self-contained and a fairly easy extension of our existing ring signature scheme that I don't think such an audit would be, you know, terribly involved and, you know, hopefully not that expensive because of it. So, I mean, to kind of sum up with the answer about Spartan, you know, Spartan is a, a really interesting proving system um, that I think deserves a lot more analysis to see what kind of transaction models could be integrated into it. Um, I think kind of just a naive switch of our current transaction model over to that um, would likely not take advantage of a lot of those efficiencies. I saw Andrew Polstra's comment uh, on, on, on the GitHub issue for CLSAG saying that, you know, he's he thought it was very interesting and said that, you know, you should still, of course, go through the process of formally proving that it is secure. But from his, you know, back on napkin analysis, he's like, hey, this looks good to me. Like it passes the, the sniff test, so to speak. Well, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of things that look really good that turn out not to be very good, which, of course, is why you do formal security proofs. Um, and, you know, we've had like example code for this for quite a while now. Um, but the real tricky part was writing up formal security proofs. Like those are those are notoriously subtle and you know very easy to get wrong. So we wanted to make sure that we got them correct. You know to ensure that you absolutely got them correct. You know you try to increase that likelihood in some sense by getting external review and audits, which is something that we have not done yet. All right, thank you. Any other questions for Sarang or anything Sarang you want to leave us with here on the coffee chat? Tell so, um, yeah, I, yeah, I have a comment, and, and, and that, it comes down to sort of the bottom line kind of comment. It is when we look at these things, because those are comments why we're always changing it, is other significant efficiencies to be gained in transaction size and, ver and verification time. And that, I think, is ultimately what justifies then putting the resources and the time into paying for the audits and ensuring that this is sound. You know, right. bulletproof. Who was a very sizable gain in, in transaction time, with a right. with a remarkable in fees. So that's, I think, a consideration that we have to always keep in mind with these things. Uh, and a lot of the work Emerald does, and and, you, and you'll be looking at a lot of things, and you get a few that actually produce something really, really valuable. And then we have to spend the extra time on that. Yeah, and and you know a lot of things we look at, you know, you might get a you know a size benefit, but you end up you know trading verification time, for example. Um, some things you get both, you know, bulletproofs are both smaller and faster. Um, and in the case of this proposed CLSEG signature scheme we've been working on, you'd get the same thing. So you end up with transactions that are you know substantially smaller and fairly substantially faster as well. So sometimes you get a win-win if you can prove it's secure. And in this case, you know, again, provided that audits go well, I think it's definitely a win-win. Um, so, I mean, besides that, you know, um, one thing we want to do now that we have several different sublinear, you know, uh, transaction schemes in play, we have Lelantis, which um, uh, that came out of Zcoin, um, and I've been working on example code for that and kind of prototyping it. We have this RCT uh, 3.0 paper that came out, which has some compatibility issues that I'm not sure we can work around. And now we have OmniRing. So there's different approaches that could reasonably be taken um, for sublinear ring signature uh, type transaction models that definitely deserve more comparative analysis. And we'll be doing that in the next month. All right. Thank you, Sarang, for, yeah, thank you, for us. 
Um, I appreciate you joining us from your remote bicycle location um, in who knows where in the world. So <laughs> we're appreciate you I'm, I'm in a warm, I'm in a warm place volunteering to fix kids' bikes. So it's a good time. Um, but anyway, I got to go and finish fixing stuff. So I will uh, talk to you all later. Enjoy yourself. All right. I'm glad you could join us. It was definitely more enlightening to have him speak directly about DL SAGs, um, CL SAGs, Omni Ring, and so forth. Um, because just a, bit. Just, just a little bit more. Um, I, I was, it's good to know that DL SAG stands for, the D stands for dual. I was trying to look that up before and I was, I was struggling to find that answer <laughs> the coffee chat. Uh, but uh, let's transition to a slightly different topic. So uh, Serang's talked about OmniRing a little bit. The authors of the paper will be presenting their work on OmniRing at the Conferenco, um, which is happening uh, this month um, on June 22nd to 23rd in Denver, Colorado. It's a Monero conference, just full stop. It's entirely devoted to Monero and Monero-related things. So of it's the required here, attendance for the community, by the way. If you don't attend, you're not actually a Monero community member. Yes, this is this is the gatekeeping for the Monero community. If, if you're not at the conference, which I didn't know I was going to until earlier this week, or so, then yes, you're obviously not a community member. Is that what you're trying to say? Need money? Oh yeah, absolutely. Need need conference ninety. <laughs> All right. So um, who, so I know that uh, need money ninety and I are going to the conference. Have other people here? How many of you are also going to the conference? Yeah, I'll be going. I'm also giving a talk at the conference um, on scaling and attacks, potential attacks against the um, um, pricing of uh, Monero and various attacks that are possible or not possible. So I'll be giving a, a presentation on, at the conference call. Yeah, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. I mean, Cake Wallet is a sponsor of the event but um there's actually a steel conference in new york that week which i'll be attending so i don't know how that'll turn out so it'll be a last minute decision but i hope to uh, hope to make it okay so you'll be there in spirit yeah you'll you'll see the cake wallet name everywhere you can't get away from it but hopefully i'll come it'll be last minute but i'm still hoping to come make it out there at least on friday and um but i'll decide on thursday if i'm coming or not how about Woods? Are you coming? Uh, right now, I'm, I'm only planning on the Las Vegas conference. Most likely, yeah. All right, yeah. Um, well, you know, of course, hopefully, Vic, we can see you there. Um, I'm sure Woods are, even if you can't make it, we'll see you at DevCon. So um, a lot of opportunities for people in the Monero community to get together and join up in person if that's what you are interested uh, in, in doing. There's a lot of value in speaking with people directly. There's a, there's a little bit that's lost on these on these video conference chats, um, often when people are muted, but also there's a, an important human element too. Uh, so um, the conference will be pretty interesting. Uh, there's a lot of fantastic talks there, and so we just wanted to plug it this time that it's about your last chance to book travel to Denver if you would like to be there. Um, it, it's a very reasonably priced conference. It's about $150 for uh, a general admission. If you're a student, it's cheaper. I know they're hoping to further reduce the price of student tickets. So, um, you know, let me let me vouch for Brandon in saying that he's done a lot of work to help put this together. The lineup is truly fantastic, and the so the events will at the minimum be recorded, but I think we're still working on trying to have them live streamed too. At the minimum, the collaboration with the Zcash Foundation and the Electric Coin Company uh, at Zcon One in Croatia will be live streamed also. But uh, I'm still working with Brandon to try and make sure that everything with live stream is set up because I know for the Magical Crypto Conference, for example, that was a really successful live stream event. Um, so. Hopefully, we'll be able to stretch that a little bit further, uh, too. Are there any other comments on the Conferenco before we proceed? I have one more. Yeah. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. Um, you know, uh, Monero Talk, uh, Doug and Sunita of Monero Talk have taken a house. Uh, I don't know if it's full yet, but they are renting out rooms. Um, and there's going to be a party Friday night, uh, which, of course, I'm always ready to sponsor a party. Um, so hopefully everyone can make it to that as well. 
So you can, you can reach out to uh, Monero Talk, either Doug or Sunita, to find out the uh, room situation if you want to stay there. Already am. Oh, okay, that's good. Uh, Justin, are you going to be there? I'm flying in late Friday, like yeah, 11. Yeah, are you going to be at the uh, Casa? I'm flying in late Friday, like 11:30 p.m. So yeah, but it's it's like a, it's the place that you stay at for the whole event. No, I, I'm not are, staying. Are I'm not staying. I'm not staying there. Lame. I uh, put the link to the Casa de Monero thing in the chat for people if they are looking for, you know, pretty inexpensive accommodation for other Monero folk. That's <laughs> your chance. Um, I know that, uh, of course, John and Sinita have put a lot of effort to preparing this. Um, they're, they're very excited. And of course, as uh, Vic stated, there's there's a party on Friday, so all the more reason to go. Um, any other comments on the Confranco? So uh, Arctic Mind, do you want to give us a little bit more preview on what you will be talking about uh, during your slot there? I can give you a bit of a taste of it. Um, primarily looking at pricing as anti-spam attacks. Um, some of the challenges in uh, um, a uh, private uh, uh, encrypted and, and private uh, blockchain. Uh, just to give you an example, um, when we're all familiar with spam and email, and how do we deal with spam and email, basically what we do is we censor it. Um, and that's not a possibility in a cryptocurrency like Monero. So you, you, once you you have a system which is encrypted and private, spam becomes actually a much more interesting challenge. And how do you handle that? Uh, so that's kind of some of the ideas that I'm going to be discussing and, and, and commenting on. It's also a follow-up on the Big Bang attack and some of the concerns around that um, and some other potential attacks. Um, again, the question of pricing and, and how do you actually control uh, certain attacks on the blockchain. Uh, actually, speaking of censorship, I'm 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 also going to be giving a talk at the conference on uh, moderating Monero, so mm -hmm. that'll be uh, interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, because basically, in the example that I'm give, that, that I gave about uh, email, the the tool that is used is actually censorship. You you censor the the provider, or or you blacklist a group of P addresses or domain names. And then you also pre-process the, the email for and censor the spam, basically. And it's sort of an effective or kind of effective anti-spam tool. In a, in a situation which is very highly censorship resistant by design, like it's a Monero, you don't have that option. You can't tell it apart easily on the blockchain. You can't tell a, a spam transaction from a, a ham transaction on, on the blockchain. So you have to find different ways of designing systems that essentially make the spam expensive and the ham cheap. Um, and a lot of the, the sort of responses, for example, to, to the uh, Big Bang attack were based on that kind of a premise. Okay, what is the legitimate pattern of transactions that we want to encourage? And at the same time, how do you price spam out of the market or make it prohibitively expensive? So it's it, it, because you don't have the tool of censorship as a as an anti-spam measure. That's the challenge, essentially. The easy way out is in there. In Monero, most people yeah. don't think of censorship as a virtue in fighting spam on email, for example. But that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, how we fight spam on email. It's a good example. I'm looking forward to your talk. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I I'm a little confused as to how you differentiate uh, spam. You know, you, you are reclassifying spam as being something different from other types of transactions. I mean, I would think that all of the uh, economic disincentive, the fee structure, would only be based on the, the the cost, the true cost of storing the data and transmitting data. So, so how? Well, there's some patterns that you look for. I mean, for example, in, in the case of Big Bang. And, and, and this sort of the theory that was worked out, someone was trying to achieve a certain size or a block size. Uh, and so you're looking at um, uh, an attacker basically saying, well, let's flood the blockchain. Uh, another example that was kind of hinted at, there was an article on, on this, uh, where there was a, uh, the idea of flooding the, um, the blockchain with transactions 
in order to attempt anonymize um, outputs. That was the fun XR paper. I can post that in the YouTube chat. One second. Yeah. There was a discussion on, on that particular issue. And although that particular paper question, there were a lot of there were a lot of concerns about some of the conclusions. It still shows that you know these kind of attacks are possible. So if you look at the difference, the individual transaction user, they're usually sending a small number of transactions. The spammer, on the other hand, wants to sort of fill up a block. So they're trying to do different things. So you can design your pricing so that it discourages one and encourages the other. So there is there is ways of doing of looking of of designing pricing so that one would um, discourage um, certain types of attacks. Uh, and a lot of the, the 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 work that went, for example, into fighting the Big Bang, and the idea of how do you structure it? Well, you look at what is a legitimate uh, transaction change um, over a period of time. Well, let's say, for example, there's a sudden surge of say 20 times or 30 times or 20 times. Uh, due to a seasonal impact. So you accommodate that, but at the same time, you want to frustrate, say, uh, uh, a protractor attack that is designed just to blow the blockchain. So there's things you can do um, that allow you to make certain types of attack expensive while at the same time uh, allowing regular transactions to be uh, individual or, or group transactions to be uh, affordable. If I, if I recall correctly, you set it up so that we have uh, two different types of median block sizes, one that's a long-range long block size and uh, the other that's a short-range. Um, and so the short-range block size is able to accommodate uh, fluctuations, say uh, a burst of transactions within a small period due to some event happening or... Yeah, for example, the, the, the classic example is, of course, the, uh, the December, the Christmas season. And so if we look at, say, visas, um, they publish their information, they will go from a threshold of about, say, 2,000 transactions a second to about forty to 50,000 transactions uh, in a short period of time. So the, the idea was to allow for a burst in transactions uh, to accommodate that kind of seasonality. But at the same time, that burst doesn't become the, the overall scaling of the block uh, because in reality, the demand hasn't, hasn't changed it's just that you have a seasonal effect. And so the, the long-term block uh, reward was designed to accommodate the long-term growth in the blockchain, while the short-term was designed to deal with these sharp fluctuations. So that's an example of what I'm referring to, that you can actually set the parameters when you look at the patterns of transactions that you want to uh, encourage, while at the same time discouraging an attacker that it's just out to create havoc in the blockchain. And it makes it expensive. The other subtle thing that was done with that is that the fee scaling is based on the long-term or on the short-term uh, median. And that's important because if you think about it, the idea for the fee scaling is the long-term effect. That's what you want to deal with. In the short-term, you're creating a burst situation, so you actually want to be pushing the penalty uh, for legitimate transactions. So it makes sense to use the the fee scaling in the long term, but not in the short term. Why not so essentially, you're tuning the system pocket? for patterns. Is basically what you're doing. Uh, can't you just use like a composite of the short and the long term? So the longer the burst is protracted, the the higher the fees get until you uh, get someone well, to the median. In effect, that's what's happening because by scaling the short the, the fees on the long term, the long term isn't changing, so the fees don't change. You, know, you actually increase the try to uh, you increase the, uh, the individual ham transactions. The prices stay the same, but a spammer their cost goes up uh, linearly uh, instead of before the way you were with the number of transactions because you're not changing the long term medium, so the fees stay the same. But the spammer has to add more and more spam to maintain the attack. But the, the other subtlety in that one, which is a lot of people missed, which is kind of subtle, is that you had to have a different... You couldn't just use the... Um, you, couldn't just use, you couldn't use a simple solution, because the simple solution of just having... Um, not, not, scale, not, having the, not scaling the second medium definitely meant that the burst rate became the scaling rate for the long term. And that's not what desirable at all. So you have to take only a portion 
of the growth and use it in scaling the long term. And that was a subtlety that uh, wasn't obvious at all. Um, uh, I really think Javier Smooth caught the issue in some of the discussions. And uh, when I looked at his concern, I mean, it made a lot of sense, but how do you deal with it? Uh, and that's why you have to, so when you do the long-term medium, you don't just take the whole medium, but only a small portion of it. That was a subtle change. So yeah, it, it, there's, there's this tuning aspect to it, which is kind of really interesting. Uh, sorry, um, there's some there's some internal chats going on. That's pretty funny here. <laughs> it's very distracting. Um, so uh, people chatting that are currently present in the coffee chat within the Jitsi chat. Um, there's some interesting business yeah, ideas that are yeah, going around. Are professional. <laughs> yeah, Monero, the most professional community that you know of. Um, so before we move on from from that idea, uh, just coming back to. Um, a lot of the attacks that were, that were mentioned in the flood XMR paper and have been discussed for many, many points of time, you know, since MRL one that discussed these things. Um, I just want to quickly point out that in order for an attacker to generate all of these outputs, to have all this information, uh, all of these inside of other outputs, ideally they would not want others to know that they have oversight of this information. And we, I've spoken at length with Sering and Surrey during the Breaking Monero series that, you know, if you're an individual that's sending one transaction, here are all of the things you need to worry about to keep yourself private against these considerations. Well, think about if you're an attacker who is trying to literally control the majority of Monero outputs for a sustained duration of time, good luck keeping that like good luck hiding your networking metadata, good luck making transactions in a way that, you know, is, is is built around typical spend patterns and stuff. It's a tough challenge. So I think it's often lost on people that it's not as it's simple. It's also detectable. As, yeah, like. No, you can, it can be detectable. It, it can be detectable. No, if you're um, trying to go for a, a fixed percentage of the transactions, if you perform personally 20 transactions in a short burst, you can observe the network and see if somebody else is matching that with an even higher number. Uh, by, by introducing um, or injecting large bursts of transactions personally, you can detect whether somebody is actually trying to go and outpace those in terms of the ring signature members. That's a very good point. Because basically, one of the ways that an attacker would try to hide what they're doing is to simulate the um, transaction pattern that already exists in the network. So you would say, okay, well, let's look at what the overall transaction pattern is, and let's create something similar. So then if you have a responsive attack, where you just attack the attacker, basically, by putting in a sample, which is a bit odd, and then the attacker responds to it, then you know that something's going on. So yeah, there are ways of detecting these kind of things. Uh, and it's not as simple as a lot of people think, well, you simulate the, the existing pattern. Well, that, as quite correctly pointed out, that, that's not the case. The MRL is um, trying to figure out the, uh, the average spend pattern of users for ages. Well, you look at it, say, within a two, three, four month period, look at trends, but you can watch the patterns and distributions, like, you know, how many outputs, uh, how many inputs, this kind of thing. So you can try to simulate all that. Um, and then make and somehow try to hide your packs uh, in that way. That's one 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 issue. The the attack where people are going after um, trying to, to to sort of control large numbers of outputs. Of course, one of the one potential uh, way to counteract something like that, of course, is again to look at the mix rates. Uh, so change your mixing again. I mean, Monero seems to have responded to various attacks by doing this. Um, and and that's definitely a way of dealing with those kind of attacks uh, on a, on another level. I mean, that's that's definitely a way to do it. Uh, but I, I kind of looked at that a bit more in detail because it's the Big Bang attack in its original incarnation really doesn't have a strong motivation. And when you have a motivation of um, trying to de-anonymize the network, at least you create a motive for the thing, uh, which it makes it more dangerous in a sense because now you have an incentive to do this. I suppose in Big Bang, my general feeling about that was that it was easier to go for a 51% attack 
from a cost perspective. I don't know. With bang attack, it kind of felt dangerous because this is a, an adversarial environment where we are literally. Oh, no, I agree, but, but the, uh, other blockchain but, would much love to go and uh, make this, uh, unusable in the future. Well, if you want to think of a, a block, another blockchain that is a sitting duck right now for that type of an attack, of course, is Bitcoin SV. I mean, if you look at what they're doing. Uh, the cost parameters are just negligible for, for, for and the cheer size uh, blocks that they have because there's no scaling penalty on it. But there's less of a, like I said, but when you added the, this idea of de-anonymization into the equation, now you create an incentive for it. Now it's a bit, now it starts to get a bit more uh, uh, of a concern. I, I see it because now you have an incentive to do something. Whether it will succeed at that is a different story, but, but at least you have an, a much stronger incentive for the attacker. So that's kind of the distinction that I would make. But I mean, uh, Monero is actually one of the harder chains to attack right now. I mean, if you want to go after someone like Bitcoin SV, which is the, with 128 megabit blocks, there's hardly any sort of cost to get up there. I mean, you can you can bloat that thing well very, very easily. Uh, and nobody's thought of doing that, but it's an interesting target. I mean, if you were thinking of that, uh, that kind of an attack. You don't know what I've been thinking. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you said if you want to think about it. Yeah, I mean, that might be Yeah, I mean, it's... We if you look at, them. you know, what else is out there? I mean, Monero's already leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the competition. Either either they're totally unscalable like Bitcoin, they hit the, the limit, or, or, or they're wide open to a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah, and the other one it's when you attack the full blockchain. A nice overview here. I, we, I really look forward to your talk at the Conferenco on this and many other topics. Yeah. I think it will pair well with uh, Need Money 90s talk more than we're expecting because it's all these weird attacks and ways, whether it's on you know, the block size, whether it's people that are trying to control a lot of outputs or people that are just trying to you know, troll the community or whatever it might be. It, get people involved. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, both of those. Just one last clarification point before I introduce the two other people who joined us in this coffee chat. Um, I want to quickly say that, you know, you can't, oh, like, I can't say that we will always be able to detect when people try and attack the network. But if someone is trying to attack the network to the extent of, you know, the flood XMR paper suggests, there is a lot of considerations there on detection that most people don't necessarily speak about the nuances for. So it, it's as something well as that's really to practice. And we can also we also have the ability to respond to it. If somebody tries to go and flood the network to de-anonymize it, we can go and flood transactions too if it's noticed. Like it's it's not like we can we just have to sit here with our uh, sitting on our hands and can't do anything about it. But of course yeah, there's there, a lot there needs to be a long term solution. And well it's a temporary solution and it it uh, the thing is, 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 is there is a community response threat also to these things. So you have to bear in mind, you can't ignore that at all. And like I've been discussed, I mean, the detectability is making, making these things detectable is not as simple as people think it is. Um, but I stand by my point of view. I still believe that it will compare to most of the blockchains. Monero is actually already one of the most robust as far as these kind of things are concerned. Yeah, it's good because to of our pricing conversations. It's good that these are. You know, we've had these discussions before. We're continuing to have them as Monero becomes more hardened. It sort of seems like, well, haven't you solved it? Well, we need to introduce a more strict threat model now that Monero is better in other ways. You know, so it's going to be something that's continuously revisited. And it's, and it's great that we have people Absolutely. like Arctic Mine on the team that are able to make sure these discussions are front and center all the time. All right. Let's uh, we can come back to this if we still have time, but I would like to start off by introducing our two other new guests. So, Paul, can you introduce yourself, please? Hey, hey. Um, lead dev at My Monero, so wallet software for Monero. Um, bet everyone knows about us by now. You're going to Conferenza, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go to Conferenza. Is it Conferenza or Conferenco? I don't know. I say Conferenza. Um, what are you doing on uh, a talk on there? Need money. Uh, censoring Monero. I was like censoring uh, transactions. Yeah, moderation. No, 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 no oh. moderation. <laughs> yeah, so it's like your primary job. I got it. 
um, the the tyrant's role. Yeah, I'm doing a talk there on the challenges in building software with Monero code. It's like you know my favorite uh, topic to have a bitch fest about, basically. But um, in all seriousness, um, I think it's going to be good because I'll get to go into how we can improve the efficiency of our work on expanding the Monero code base and how we can make it possible for uh, third-party wallets to more easily integrate Monero, not just you know in the form of, oh, let's connect to the RPC server, but how do we actually use the cryptography or the, the cryptography code behind Monero um, and allow services and, and software to construct transactions and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I think that um, I think that Saray has done an incredible job in organizing it, and I have a lot of um, respect and admiration for what it takes to put together a conference like that. And if you look at the the list of speakers, it's pretty incredible. You know, he's got a lot of really, really cool people lined up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before before we move on. Can I, I just want to make sure I get this right. So did you bring a smoothie to a coffee? Yes, yeah, so I have a smoothie <laughs> and I have coffee. Okay, okay. Is, um, normally I put kale in this, but it's uh, what gives it its green color right now is a bunch of spirulina. And um, I've got this. <laughs> Sounds healthy. I've got this like thing called super greens. So it's pretty good. Whoa, this isn't a paid product placement place, man. Can yeah, no, we're we're only paying for the endogenic peep show, so I forgot. Keep keep that to the private chats. <laughs> we're giving away all of our business ideas. <laughs> but yeah, right, I think I love to have smoothies in the morning, especially kale smoothies. Like, like if I can, like, I don't know, a plug for like something that is really really healthy. It's definitely kale smoothies. They're really good for you. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Paul. I'll be sure to join you in a conversation with Woodser, who's in the chat. He's doing a lot of the Monero infrastructure work too. I think you might it would be a good thing to talk about. Uh, but yeah. first, who's the last one up here? Who's, who's let, the let last me, uh, who just joined this chat? Yeah, let me quickly uh, introduce Diego. Uh, so, Diego, can you can you talk about yourself briefly? And actually, can you start off by talking about your latest? community conversation on Monero talk on sort of the importance of open source. Can you quickly summarize that in just a few sentences for people? Because I found it very interesting. Yeah, uh, my name is Diego Salazar. The people in the community know me as Rarar. I do <clears throat> a lot of different things, um, you know, some website work, some UI UX work and design type things, some community stuff. I just, you know, whatever I can get my hands into that's not coding because coding is boring and for nerds. So you know, <clears throat> recently, uh, like Justin said, I've been on Min uh, another episode of Monero Talk uh, where we talked about kind of open source software and why it's important um, that not just like Monero is open source, but the sort of open source things that Monero also relies on and just the ideals of kind of the open source community and why those are important um, in the in the community at large and, and honestly why staying true to those ideals has made Monero more of a pure project than um, a lot of these other ones that kind of begrudgingly have their projects as open source just because they know that nobody would use them or trust them if they weren't and we're even start even starting to see <coughs> excuse me we're even starting to see some projects that are kind of circumventing that where they're not um, making stuff open source and are are claiming different reasons for that. But yeah, kind of the, the long and short of the conversation is, is just that, um, yeah, sticking to these ideals has kept a, a large amount of purity in the Monero's community. And, and I use that word, you know, um, and it can, it's fairly ambiguous. It can mean a few different things to different people, but it's just this idea that um, <clears throat> because Monero is not super, into uh, making, I mean, we, we all like to make money, but that's not our primary goal. You know, the, the goal of open source software as a whole is to kind of 
change the world by putting your stuff out there and, and not charging for it and doing it for free. And, you know, there's a difference between open source software and free software, but, you know, we're not going to get into that idea, but it's, it's very idealistic. Um, just as a whole, open source software is very idealistic. And um, the people in Monero stick to those ideals and hold those ideals very closely. And the result is a lot of the people that come into the community to make money, you know, they get frustrated because we're a bunch of idealists and they're like, well, what if, what if we do this, which would make short-term games, short-term gains, or what if we do that? And people are like, yeah, but that doesn't really fall in line with the ideals. That doesn't really fall in line with what we're actually trying to do, you know, get fungible private digital money out there to the world. So, you know, we're probably not going to pursue that. And they get frustrated and leave to other projects, which is, you know, okay for them. And, you know, the cool thing is a few people will catch the vision and they'll stick with us. And then as they learn more about it, you know, they, they, they become the new generation of purists. And it's actually really fun to see those transformations take place. And I, I've seen that a couple of times in this community. Yeah, I so, remember one artist guy who uh, came into the community trying to make money, finding, finding something to make. And then uh, he just ended up being, uh, well, I guess, on the coffee chat today. Yeah, that, that would be me. Uh, so I, I was one of those people. That story is my own. And, and I've seen it on a few other people as I have since come there and I have led them along that path. So, um, but, you know, then we also discuss some of the technicalities in terms of, well, why is it important that Monero is open source and uh, permissive versus uh, non-permissive licenses and stuff like that. But uh, if you're interested in more of that conversation, please go to... Monero talk on YouTube. You could do a Google search. You'll probably find it and you can find the whole chat to peruse and stuff like that. Yay. All right. Thanks, Diego, for joining us. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make sure that we have enough time to cover like uh, let me hand it over to Woodser and Enigenic to talk a little bit briefly about Monero's infrastructure. So Woodser, can you give a little bit uh, more information on what really motivated you to try and work on this this often forgotten element uh, of you know Monero's code infrastructure, and what initiatives you think are really important going forward, um, uh, and how they might benefit the community. Yeah, sure. So I mean, what initially got me interested is um, I wanted to be able you know, I wanted to be able to just pick up some code and just do some like very lightweight scripting. Uh, with Monero and be able to send a transaction. I wanted to even to be able to make like uh, like the Bitcoin Cash Network, for example, had a stress test and they released a, a, a stress testing tool that came in the form of a client-side JavaScript local HTML code. You could download it to your computer, run it. It was a local wallet and it would sit there and stress test the network. And nothing like that existed for Monero. And as I got into it, <clears throat> I realized that in order to achieve something like that, um, the only real viable way was with the RPC APIs. And uh, if we wanted to start hooking into the native code base, the C++ code base uh, of Monero's core code base, um, then uh, some refactoring was going to be needed really at that, at that level. So, so that sort of led me down this path of creating uh, libraries that are intended to be very... Uh, user focused, so like very very easy for a script kitty to just pick up and just you know start doing some things, and it, it feels very natural, and intuitive for what a wallet should feel like in terms of software. Um, so moving forward, though, you know I definitely think there's there's room for there's there's opportunity to um, to refactor some of Monero's technical architecture that makes it way easier to access for the world to build on top of, and. Uh, I think the two things come to mind. First off is we need to do a, a deep dive refactor of the wallet to um, code base. And that's going to allow us to um, create, for example, a wallet within JavaScript code that is 100% client side. Uh, but that can only happen if we get in there and do some of the refactoring there. Or, or if we use MyMonero Core, because we did that work already. I mean, <clears throat> it's not a refactor of wallet too, but it's like a step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I would hope that the solution that's used is part of the core code base so that, that you know, everybody uh, can achieve this with core software. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. 
so I want to just make Monero more portable. And then in addition to, you know, like our REST, our, our API, for example, our API is sort of kind of a hodgepodge right now. It's sort of evolved over a lot of a long running time. Um, and I would love to see our API be transformed into to follow like modern uh, API practices, whether it's a REST API or our existing JSON RPC API. That just gives a really clean feel for web developers in today's day and age, you know? No. Not very interesting. Um, so again, this is the last chance you have for questions. Um, if you're watching the coffee chat, make sure to ask questions, especially if they're related to Woodser and Endogenics work to help move a lot of the developments that they're doing and a lot of the initiatives that they're really focused on and make it so that people have a much more usable Monero backend to, to, to continue building on. Um, uh, so Woodser, what, what got you interested? What makes you motivated to do this work? Um, well, I mean, I just think for Monero to get to the next level, which is what my interest is is in, uh, I just see that these these technical foundations need to be in place. You know, I I am I want to be able to see corporations like IBM, you know, be for whatever reason they say let's integrate Monero into something that we're doing, and I want to have an easy to use library available for them with uh, with with um, you know friendly licensing, and they're a Java shop, so you're like I want. I want that. I want enterprise that works with Java to be able to access Monero. I want um, web developers around the world. I want every website operator in the world to be able to pull in uh, a, a proper local Monero wallet and a few lines of code. So my interest is just to take Monero where it is today and make it accessible because I think that's going to be necessary to get it kind of into the next level of adoption. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Pretty much every third-party wallet is using Wallet Two right now, and if I'm not mistaken. They, uh, they, they have to integrate with Wallet2 by way of this sort of like secondary, highly redundant API called Wallet slash API. Yes. Wallet slash is in it's within the Wallet subdirectory, which yeah. Wallet2 is also in. And honestly, that API shouldn't exist at all. That's well, exactly really what the interface to Wallet2 should be. And um, so that's just one example of where it's really difficult for people to, to know how to integrate with Wallet2. But... The other thing is that Wallet2 as a class is um, it's it's heavily entangled with a lot of uh, like simple wallet specific things, things that are very specific to the feature set of simple wallet or the specific implementation of it. Whereas you might have a wallet that, for example, doesn't have any need of an address book or doesn't have any need of specific implementation of disk persistence. Right. And so there's a lot of stuff like that that's just all tangled up in Wallet 2. And at the very least, for the purpose of eliminating variance between wallet implementations that leads to uh, fingerprints ability of users who are using the different implementations, at, at the very least, what we should do is have Monero generic uh, functionality that's bound up in Wallet 2's implementation we should have that split out into pure functions that people can embed within their code without having to implement the entire Wallet2 object. And yeah, so I'd or, like to see that happen. And um, there's also there's a bunch of other stuff that's going on in Epe right now. Like if everyone's familiar with Epe, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. It's basically this gigantic... Um, it's like a it's like a gigantic utilities like set of utility code that has a very ambiguous scope, a very ambiguous uh, namespace domain, and um, it's uh, it's too big to fail, and we we have to stop bailing it out, and it has to die in a fire. So um, there's a lot of stuff like that, and once we once we get that stuff um, split out, as Woodser said people are gonna be able to start embedding a very core library that doesn't, you know, for example, require you to import like DNS resolution code, like, DN like libunbound, for example. Like no one should have to, you know, Im embed or depend upon libunbound just to be able to decode payment IDs or just to be able to scan an output or whatever. Right now. 
I, I was just going to comment really briefly because uh, I know Justin needs to move on. But you know, like I, I was looking at the the wallet code, um, which is used for the GUI. And as I've been doing this library work, I came to understand the motivation of that wallet code because what the GUI developers were looking for was this easy to use packaged up portable sort of wallet library that could power their GUI where they don't really have to consider a lot of the details that they need to consider if they're inter interfacing directly with wallet two. So I think um, that's the state of where things are today. And as you said, ideally we would get in there and offer like a new maybe wallet three, which is, you know, it can be a tiered feature set, maybe at the very most abstract level. It offers just the very core functionality of wallet basics, you know, transactions and um, checking your balance. Uh, and it's broken out with different dependencies so that uh, our dependencies aren't entangled up. And it offers that sort of librarytized API. That's ideally where I, I hope that we get to. All right, thanks for having this discussion. We don't often have a talk about Monero's wallet infrastructure, so it was interesting to bring that to light. Um, we're unfortunately running very low on time here for the coffee chat. We have a DEF CON workgroup meeting immediately after this in the Monero community IRC channel. So I want to thank everyone who joined us today to ask questions, to listen about what's going on in the Monero community. I have a last several few final announcements, but I want to thank Sarang, Arctic Mine, Diego, Paul, Vic, Need Money 90 and Woodser for joining us today. Thank you so much, everyone, uh, for joining. So uh, I want to end really quickly with Vic. Vic, what is next in line for Cake Wallet? What have you really been working on? Um, tell you the truth, we're um, just trying to streamline the wallet. I mean, it always happens after you launch, you discover a bunch of bugs and you wonder why they weren't caught earlier. <clears throat> so, I mean, right now we are, I mean, we've just finished a huge update, as you know, we added another exchange, we added accounts, we added, uh, made sub addresses more functional, we added cloud backup. Um, so it was a lot. So um, I, I think at this stage, we're just trying to streamline what we have right now. Um, we have some non-wallet related uh, projects, which can't really talk about right now. Um, but as far as the wallet goes, we're going to continue adding third-party services um, and, try and make the wallet functional as much as possible. Um, I know all this uh, very deep PhD high-level talk, uh, but I, I try to see everything from a user point of view and trying to make Monero as user-friendly as possible. Um, one thing I'd like to say, though, is talking about wallets, everybody talks about, uh, or you see on Reddit and other places. Oh, he's gone. Oh, oh darn. Bye, Vic. Um, Paul, you had an announcement uh, before Vic gets back, I guess. Yeah, if that's good. I know it's already noon, but uh, or 1 p.m., whatever. Where are you well, living? What's that? <laughs> uh, where where are you living? Oh, these days Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, Vic is back. Sorry, guys. Can you hear me? Hey. Yeah, I lost a little for a second. But um, just interesting with, uh, with with Bitcoin, for example, as as trying to use um, you know different wallets like Blue Wallet and Bread and Electrum, and it's not easy. I mean. <laughs> From coming from a non uh, non techie person or somebody wanting to get into cryptocurrencies, I find Bitcoin uh, mobile wallets to uh, be harder to use. Um, not everything is compatible everywhere. Whereas in, in Monero, um, it's compatible on all platforms, on uh, all devices. Um, so just as a side note, I kind of I, I wonder when people say Monero is hard to use, where I find Bitcoin much harder to use. Um, but anyway, getting back to Cake Wallet, yeah, um, you know, we're going to keep streamlining, fixing the bugs that are out there, uh, keep adding little, little features, um, you know, which we may not even uh, post about or tweet about, but, uh, you know, they, they keep improving the user experience. All right. Thank you so much, Vic, for that quick update. Uh, so another quick update. Paul, you have something for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Vic, I just want to add on to what you said about the usability of Monero. 
I think that uh, it's really skyrocketed in the last couple of years with work like what Cake Wallet is doing, uh, like what Mona Rio is doing, like what My Monero has done. Because before that, it was it was largely about using the command line interface, and um, so I think a lot of the complaints came from that. And but we've been doing a lot, I think, for like our our collective group of different mobile wallets have been doing a lot, and have to catch up, eh? So um, yeah, I have a bit of an announcement. Uh, it's already public. It's something that we announced at the Magical CryptoCon. It's it's been what'd you say? What what happened to pre-announcing pre-announcements? <laughs> well, this is something we had in stealth for a while. So um, we've actually been working on it for like a good year and a half or something, but um, wanted to make sure we did it right. And what we did is we uh, we implemented a or we designed a new security protocol for ensuring the integrity of web resources to uh, basically eliminate the possibility of uh, man-in-the-middle attacks and compromised web resources based on you know whatever string of possibilities you've got along the line of delivering a resource from a web server down to your browser. And we partnered with an, a relatively prominent security firm called Urbane to write an RFC with us and to review the protocol and make sure it's sound. And we also, uh, Built a reference implementation um, of a browser plugin called Secure Browse, and I'll drop the link to that uh, in IRC. But you can go to securebrowse.gitlab.io/slash/secure. Where I haven't seen this. You haven't seen this yet? No, we're we're, oh, we're this. pretty big deal. So Fluffy Pony designed the protocol, and the way that it works, um, I, I kind of feel like I might be running over time here, but the way that it works is that um. So there's there's this thing in, in browser technology called SRI, which is sub-resource integrity, and you can you can basically hash resources like JavaScript resources and then provide the hash in with the HTML that you download. But the problem with that is like let's say that someone compromises your server or something like that, or they compromise the inbound stream of, of data, they're gonna compromise your HTML too. So if they do that, then the hashes that you've got are compromised. And SRI was originally developed to uh, to basically provide hashes for CDN provided resources, which kind of like you can kind of see how that makes sense because the HTML that you're downloading from one stream is going to be completely different from the CDN source, and it's sort of just saying like, hey, this is what we expect the CDN to provide. But we thought that we could take it further, and so uh, Ricardo, aka Fluffy Pony, came up with the idea of providing or delivering the hashes out of band via DNS TXT record, and then we will do the DNSSEC uh, cryptographic verification directly within the browser plugin itself so that there's no risk of any sort of compromise of, uh, of those resources. So my DNSSEC day back when I was doing network security, I'm, I'm drawing a big blank on how it works. I'm going to go refresh myself. Right, it's it's all about signatures and stuff, um, and basically uh, domains enable DNSSEC specifically, and there there are additional records like RRSIG and things like that that provide information, um, like additional keys and stuff. So um, so yeah, we've implemented that. I'm gonna drop a link to that somewhere, but you can go to just verify the domain here. So you can go to securebrowse.gitlab.io/securebrowse, and that's gonna link to the um, the download for the browser plugin it's going to link to the open source repository for the uh, secure browse plugin implementation and then you can also look at the RFC that we've put together and we just hope that the community gets involved in this because um, Urbane Security has come up with some really fascinating phase two ideas for how we can expand this and make it much more effective and much more easy to deploy so um, so we hope people check it out and and get involved. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Paul, for that announcement. I think it's really interesting that we have new ways in order to better protect users as they're connecting to web wallets. It's good to authenticate all the information that's sent over. Definitely. Um, okay. okay, so um, 
we're, we're unfortunately over time, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. I have two final really quick announcements. Um, so first, the DEF CON priority deadline for people who want to give a talk, demo, ideally volunteer too, that is this Monday. So if you can go to monerovillage.org under CFP, I put the link in the chat there uh, for YouTube. I encourage you to apply or to reach out to people to apply by the priority deadline so that we can schedule all the workshops and talks. That way we have a really good lineup, a real good reason for people to come to the village. The theme this year is building the foundations of digital money for Monero. So we wanna have a good variety of talks there. So make sure that you, you know, apply there if you're interested, have some desire to go to the conference. Thanks Mean Money for sharing the secure browse link too. And then one thing we did not have too much time to talk about today, were the random X audits. Random X, uh, re the community recently paid for several audits for random X to hopefully get it out for this uh, next scheduled protocol upgrade in September, October, assuming there are no major issues with that. So the code is frozen, uh, only really tiny as needed tweaks at this point, and audits are audits have been funded and are about to be underway. So a lot of really great news there. was one issue with the funding. Unfortunately, the price went up too much before the audits uh, were done. And so we're now left over with some extra money and we don't know what to do with it. So, I mean, first world problems. Yeah, not, not too bad of a problem to have. All right, uh, thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, I appreciate all of the perspectives we had today. I think we had a really good chat, a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we'll catch many of you at the Monero Conferenco. Otherwise, I'll catch you at the next coffee chat. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.